Okay, the Bible reading comes from Ezekiel chapter 40, um, and we're starting at verse 1. Has anyone got a page number? I should have checked that. Um, So Ezekiel chapter 40, starting at verse 1. In the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th of the month, in the 14th year after the fall of the city, on that very day the hand of the Lord was on me and he took me there. In visions of God he took me to the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain, on whose south side were some buildings that looked like a city. He took me there, and I saw a man whose appearance was like bronze. He was standing in the gateway with a linen cord and a measuring rod in his hand. The man said to me, Son of man, look carefully and listen closely and pay attention to everything I am going to show you, for that is why you have been brought here. Tell the people of Israel everything you see. I saw a wall completely surrounding the temple area. The length of the measuring rod in the man's hand was six long cubits, each of which was a cubit and a handbreadth. He measured the wall. It was one measuring rod thick and one rod high. Then he went to the east gate. He climbed its steps and measured the threshold of the gate. It was one rod deep. The alcoves for the guards were one rod long and one rod wide. The projecting walls between the alcoves were five cubits thick and the threshold of the gate next to the portico facing the temple was one rod deep. Then he measured the portico of the gateway. It was eight cubits deep, and its jams were two cubits thick. The portico of the gateway faced the temple. Inside the east gate were three alcoves on each side. The three had the same measurements, and the faces of the projecting walls on each side had the same measurements. Then he measured the width of the entrance of the gateway. It was ten cubits, and its length was 13 cubits. In front of each alcove was uh, was a wall one cubit high, and the alcoves were six cubits square. Then he measured the gateway from the top of the rear wall of one alcove to the top of the opposite one. The distance was 25 cubits from one parapet opening to the opposite one. He measured along the faces of the projecting walls all around the inside of the gateway, 60 cubits. The measurement was uh, up to the portico facing the courtyard. The distance from the entrance of the gateway to the far end of the portico was 50 cubits. The alcoves and the projecting walls inside the gateways were surmounted by narrow parapet openings all around. As was the portico, the openings all around faced inward. The faces of the projecting walls were decorated with palm trees. Talk outline on the back of the notice sheet as usual and uh, probably no need to have your Bible open. All of the passages that we're going to refer to will magically appear on the screen. I'm going to pray for us. Father, we do want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for the chance that we've got to be able to look at this unusual passage that seems strange to us, but we want to pray that you would help us to see what it would have meant to the original readers and what it ought to mean to us today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was a movie a couple of years back, and I'm sure many people would have seen it. It was called As Good As It Gets, starring Jack Nicholson. Just a quick indication, who's seen it? Okay, most most people have seen it. I don't need to give you the whole pricey of the the movie. Uh, 
Jack Nicholson plays a romance novelist, best-selling author uh, of, of romance novels. But the irony is he may be able to write about romance and relationships. He just can't live that way. Um, he's hopeless at dealing with people and especially dealing with women. He is rude, abrasive, selfish. I know what you're thinking. I'm like that as well, but he's even worse than me on all those fronts. But the title of the movie, if you've seen the movie, it comes from one tiny little scene, one almost throwaway line. He's just spent time again with his therapist, who has been of no help to him at all, and he walks out into the waiting room and there's all of these sad people sitting out in the waiting room, not talking to each other, just waiting for their chance to get into the therapist. And Jack Nicholson looks around the room and says, what if this is as good as it gets? And it's a fairly depressing thought for Jack Nicholson and for all of the people who are waiting in the room. I mean, here he is, a successful, incredibly wealthy man living in this beautiful apartment in New York, but he's unable to enjoy any of it because the thing that he lacks is meaningful relationships. See, in the end... We know that life's not bound up with what you own or how much money you have or where you live. Life is made up of relationships. And that's what stands at the very heart of these final chapters in the book of Ezekiel today. Relationships, and especially our relationship with God. We're looking at these closing chapters, and it's a big section. It goes from chapter 40 right through to 48 at the end, and it's almost entirely about one thing, and that's the temple. Ezekiel has taken on this kind of vision-guided tour of the temple. Now, it's important to remember that the temple in Jerusalem got destroyed years before this. It was knocked down by the Babylonians, as was the whole city of Jerusalem. But now Ezekiel's kind of being given this vision of a restored temple. He's shown this vision and he's to take note of what it is that he sees because he needs to pass it on to the people who are in exile. This is what the, the guide in his vision tells him. The man said to me, son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears and pay attention to everything I'm going to show you for that is why you have been brought here. Tell the house of Israel everything you see. Take good notes because you need to go back and tell everyone what it is that you've seen in this vision. Now, I'm not sure if you've read through the passage. You may have done so for Bible study over the past couple of weeks. But if you grab your pew Bible and open it up to Ezekiel, you can kind of get a good idea of what's happening in there just by reading the chapter headings or the section headings that we have in Ezekiel chapter 40, starting there. I'm just going to quickly run through what those headings are. The temple area restored, the east gate to the outer court, the outer court, the north court, the south court, the uh, gates to the inner court, the rooms for preparing sacrifices, the rooms for the priest, and then the new temple. We're given this detailed description of just about every single part of this new temple. 
And we're given precise measurements all the way along. Every wall, every cupboard, every door jam is measured for us. Ezekiel's guide in this vision has a measuring tape in his hand and he's measuring everything as they go around looking at every single part of the temple. Now for us, reading this today, I think it kind of sounds a bit strange to our ears. I mean, Tim only read half of one chapter. Imagine if he'd gone on and read another four and a half chapters of that. I mean, you're left wondering, why is this in here? Uh, go, go to chapter, if you're at chapter 40, this is, this is what it says. He took me there and I saw the man whose appearance was like bronze. He was standing in the gateway with a linen cord and a measuring rod in his hand. Now, if the next verse said he measured the whole temple, every last bit of it, seriously, every bit, every porch, every gate and every door, stri- door frame, full stop, if they had that, we would have been happy to skip those whole five chapters, wouldn't we? I mean, that kind of sums it all up. You don't really need too much more information than that. But that's not what we have here. We have this detailed account of the entire temple. We get to hear all the measurements, five whole chapters of them. And Ezekiel is to take notes and he's to pass it on because this is important for the people in exile to hear. So why all the detail? Why so much information? You can understand it if Ezekiel might have had a bit of an interest in it. See, remember, he was supposed to become a priest. This would have been the temple where he would have been operating as a priest, so maybe he would have had some interest in it. Some people can get very obsessed about strange things. When we lived up on the north coast, there was a guy in the church who was obsessed, and that's the only word that you could use for it, about stationary engines. I didn't even know what a stationary engine was until we moved to the North Coast. He had books on stationary engines. He used to subscribe to a magazine about stationary engines. He was, he used to go on holidays to see stationary engines in different parts of the country. I learned very quickly that you didn't mention the word stationary engine. It was unlikely it was going to come up in my vocabulary anyway, but you didn't mention it near him unless you had a couple of hours to spare. But it's not that Ezekiel's obsessed with the temple. There's a lot more to it than that. There are two events that have already taken place in the book of Ezekiel that we've read about earlier. Two events that help us understand why this closing vision is so significant. The two events were, without a doubt, the blackest days in Israel's history. And they are both days that are related to the temple. See, the temple wasn't just the place where people worshipped God. That's kind of what we think it is, but it was way more than that for the people of Israel. The most important thing about the temple was that it symbolised God's presence with his people. The temple was where God dwelt. No other nation made that kind of a claim or that kind of a boast. No other nation claimed that they had God right there in their midst with them. Sure, other nations around them would have had temples and would have had statues and they would have worshipped their gods and prayed to their gods. But for Israel, God actually dwelt with them. He wasn't some distant, remote God. This is the God who made the heavens and the earth right there 
with his people. God's presence, God's glory right there in the temple. So when we read in Ezekiel chapter 9 that God's glory has left the temple, that must have been a devastating thing for the people of Israel. That meant that God is no longer with his people, that God has abandoned them because of their unfaithfulness. And when we hear that the temple gets destroyed in chapter 25, well, that's that's it. It's all over. God has abandoned them, and the place where God dwelt among his people has now been destroyed. There is no hope for these people. There is nowhere for God's glory to return to. Now, when you understand all of that, these five chapters from chapter 40 onwards, they start to make a little bit more sense, don't they? When Ezekiel is shown this vision of the temple, it's not just about a building. It's about God being with his people. It's about God's people having hope and having a future. Listen to what we read in chapter 43. In the vision, Ezekiel not only sees the temple, but he also sees God's glory returning to the temple. And this is what it says. Then the man brought me to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing water, and the land was radiant with his glory. The vision I saw was like the vision I'd seen when he came to destroy the city and like the visions that I'd seen by the Kibar River. And I fell face down. The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. And in case you haven't grasped the full significance of this, he goes on to say this. While the man was standing beside me, I heard someone speaking to me from inside the temple. He said, son of man, this is the place of my throne, the place for the soles of my feet. This is where I will live among the Israelites forever. God is speaking and promising that he will return. The soles of his feet will be there. That's what the people wanted. It's not about a building. You can build a building anytime you like. But it was God's presence with his people. That's what they longed for. God with his people. That's what they wanted. That's what they needed. And when you, when you get to the very end of the book of Ezekiel, the last words of the last verse are these. And the name of the city from that time on will be the Lord is there. But even the vision that Ezekiel was given couldn't really capture the unbelievable thing that God had planned to do. The people did eventually return to the land. About 35 years after Ezekiel was given this vision, and they rebuilt the temple. And they waited for what Ezekiel had promised, for God's glory to be with his people again. And then we read this in John's Gospel. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Literally, 
tabernacled amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John's talking about Jesus. And did you hear the temple language that he uses there? God took on flesh in Jesus. God made his dwelling with his people through Jesus. God's glory is revealed in Jesus. Jesus came as God in the flesh to reveal God's glory and to restore relationships. He came to make it possible for the people of Israel and for the people of Balmain to have a relationship with God. John says this a little bit further on. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus came to make it possible for us to be part of God's family, to have that relationship with God. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means that we have a personal relationship with God, a relationship that we should value, a relationship that we should treasure, a relationship that we should invest in and work at. What stands at the very heart of being a Christian is that we know God personally. It's not that we simply know about God. We know God and have a relationship with him. That's how we are wired as human beings. We are wired for relationships. We were made for relationships with each other. And above all, we are made for a relationship with God. Imagine it's your wedding day. You're about to enter into a lifelong relationship with your partner. Imagine that after the wedding, you never talk to your partner. Imagine that you never listen to your partner. Imagine that you're not going to find out anything more about your partner, what they like or what they enjoy the things that they've done in their life. Imagine five years down the track, your fifth wedding anniversary, you still don't know your partner any more than that day that you stood in the church and made promises. That would be a sad thing, wouldn't it? The relationship wouldn't really have grown at all. In fact, you'd have to question whether or not you've even got a relationship. The Christian life is about having a relationship with God. The Christian life is about knowing God, knowing that when we pray, that our Heavenly Father hears us. Ezekiel got excited about a temple, a building, a symbol of God's presence with his people. How much more excited should we be about the relationship with God that we have through Jesus because of what Jesus has done for us? God indwells us by his Holy Spirit. We know God personally as our Heavenly Father. We know God and he knows us. And how do you grow in that relationship? Well, the way that you grow in any relationship, you grow by talking to God, by coming before God in prayer. So prayer should be an important part of our relationship with God. And you grow as you understand more of what it is that God has done for us. 
When we listen to what God says in his word, he's spoken to us clearly. It's really up to us to be ready to listen to what he has to say. And we make sure that we work at our relationship, that we value our relationship with God, that we invest in our relationship with God, that we work at knowing God better. Sarah's going to pray for us. Dear Lord, we thank you for the book of Ezekiel. Thank you for the way that we can read it and know that your promises are fulfilled in Jesus. We thank you that we don't just have a temple or a symbol of your presence with us, but we have the Holy Spirit within us. Thank you that we can have a relationship with you through your son who came and tabernacled amongst us. Lord, we pray that we would be reminded today and every day of the enormity of that. Help us not to take for granted that we can know you personally and come to you in prayer whenever we want. Help us to work on our relationship with you and to seek to know you more. Amen.